doing here. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that as you healed the deaf and you healed the dumb, Lord, this morning that you will open the ears of people here that have never heard your word this morning, that have heard your word but cannot fathom it out. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will open their ears, that they will hear your love, your grace, your merciful, your merciful, merciful love for them. Lord, that they will hear the word, they will hear the word, that will transform their lives. And also, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will open the mouths of the dumb and the, and the mute. Lord, that they will go out from this place this morning and speak your word into this town and into this city and into their community, Lord. That they will speak of your love for them and for the people around them. Thank you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Kevin and Jeff. Please do uh, take a seat. Um, And if you have a Bible there, so if this is your first time uh, in our morning service, this is a big climactic moment as we expect God to speak to us through the Bible. So if you have a Bible there, I wonder if you'd open up 1 Peter chapter 5, which is on page 1,220. And if you would like a Bible, we think it's very important you have access to one if you'd like. Um, Then there's some at the back there. Alpha's got some, Jeff has got some. Uh, Sue's got some, so just raise a hand and they'll, uh, they'll bring you a Bible. This is on page 1220 uh, and it's 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. What we tend to do as a church is just work our way through sections of the Bible. So this is where we've landed this morning. And if you look right at the beginning, I'll read the whole paragraph in just a minute or two, but if you look right at the beginning of the first couple of sentences, it says, to the elders... Uh, Do you see that? To the elders, the strategic and spiritual leaders of the church, many levels of leadership are needed in the life of the church. The elders have the spiritual and strategic oversight of the whole church. In our church, that is Chris, that is Lawrence, and that is myself. To the elders, here's the question it raises. What characterizes a church leader? Put another way, what is God's vision for someone who would have that kind of responsibility, or to make it really relevant why it matters to all of us this morning, is who are you trusting and why? Who are you trusting and why? And if you only need to look at this morning's first hour we've had together to realize that is pretty relevant. Because if you've opened your heart this morning, you have significantly opened it to Jesus through the direction and instruction that I gave you. It's as simple as that, isn't it? I invited people up here, in fact, I directly invited some people up here to be prayed for in very significant ways, having asked Shaz to come and speak very openly and passionately about her own life and what Jesus is doing there. Why on earth are you trusting me with such a precious thing in your life? And Chris and Lawrence, what is God's vision for actually someone who should lead a church? And what are you praying for, Chris? And praying for Lawrence and praying for myself. And what are you encouraging us in? And what are you correcting and realigning us when we've drifted away? And what what will you do when it comes to appoint new people at some point in the future? Don't worry, none of us are going anywhere, at least on our plans. But that moment will come. What characterises church leadership? Matt and I uh, were uh, praying, this is a couple of years ago, Matt and I were were, were feeling very uh, proud of ourselves. We had a whole morning prayer walking in the rain, in the rain. Like it was drizzly 
and we prayed in the rain for like four hours. And we arrived back here feeling very pleased as punch with ourselves. So we walked in looking a bit bedraggled, longing for someone to ask us, what have you been up to? So we could very modestly and humbly say, praying in the rain all day. And we bumped in uh, to a guy called Bill. Now Bill is 80 something odd years old. He's Canadian. He used to pastor a church in Canada. He was up here for the, our older friends work. So we, bu- we bumped into Bill and Bill, very kindly, Bill said, what have you been doing? Well, Matt and I, we almost tripped over ourselves to tell Bill what we'd been doing. And Bill very gently but very clearly rebuked us by telling us that he didn't just pray once a month when he was a church minister. He prayed every day of the month. And many times he had to pull on his waist-high waders to push his way through the snow that had built up in northern Canada. What actually characterises a church leader? What should we really be demonstrating? What is God's vision for us? Is it being an accomplished communicator or is it about being an outstanding administrator? Is it about being a gentle, provocative therapist or is it about an innovating pioneer with the courage and entrepreneurship to try new things? Are you looking for someone who is a directive and forceful CEO type to really push forward the vision God's given the church? Or are you looking for a tender, embracer, lover of souls to look after everybody who needs it at that moment? What is most important? Excellence in pastoral care, fantastic ability to structure a church, evangelistic zeal or sacrificial service? Are you looking for an extrovert and outgoing personality or an introvert who is really empathic and understands your feeling? A person of the a person of the spirit or a person that can bring both together and take them into the world. Who is it you're looking for? (laughs) And Peter clearly views this as massively important. Because there he says to the elders, and in the whole of what we call chapter 5, about 20% of what he writes is to this category of senior leadership in the church. It clearly is really important. Let me read the first paragraph. This is what it says then. To the elders among you, I appeal as fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing this honest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger elders, you who are younger elders, submit yourselves to your older elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, elders, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, elders, because he does care for you. Elders, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, an elder to consume, but resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing these same kinds of sufferings. And the grace of, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you, elder, have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. So to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. There's the instruction to elders. It's pretty massive, isn't it? It's pretty massive. Right the way through Peter's letter, he's written to the many about the few. 
It matters that the many know about the life of the few so that many can care for, pray for, encourage, establish, reaffirm. In the case of elders, follow, trust and obey them as fully as they possibly can. So he wrote to slaves. He wrote to everyone about slaves. He wrote to the many about the few who were slaves so the slaves could be encouraged by the wider church and the wider church knew what it meant to follow Jesus in that role. He wrote to wives the few, but he wrote to the many about the few, so everyone could encourage and help uh, wives as they tried to live for Jesus. He wrote to husbands, he wrote to the few, he, he talked about the few, but wrote to the many about them, so the many could encourage and, and keep them going and build them up and lift them up. <coughs> and so here he writes to the many, everyone, about the few, the elders. So Chris, who's away on a rare visit to see Sue's brother, who's over from the States and isn't here this morning, will happen to listen to this online, won't he? Lawrence, there at the back, and me, our ears have to be listening, don't they? But actually, it's really relevant for everyone. Because actually, what are you praying for us? What are you encouraging us in? Why are you trusting us in a church that is growing? And why do you trust us with some real specific things in your life? Are we the right people? Now, in this passage that I've just read, there is a major image and then a series of instructions. We're going to tackle the instructions next week. I want to look at the image this week. And the image is of a shepherd. Did you see it there? Look again at verses 1 and 2. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Shepherds is the image he chooses. It's, uh, we get the same word pastor from this word shepherd. To be a shepherd of God's flock. And it seems to me there are four clarifications and challenges that we need to brand on our hearts and flood our prayers with that are here in this image about being a shepherd, here in the passage about being a shepherd. Let me run, run them past you and see what you make of them. The first is, it's hard work. Being a shepherd was hard work. Brutal work, exhausting work, and often very hidden work. Most people didn't see what the shepherd was up to out on the hills, on their own. They're not sleeping, they're protecting their flock, they're fighting off lions and and, and bears and the like, and wolves that are going to take out the sheep. They're making sure they're well fed. On and on the list of things go. It's exhausting, it's brutal, it's wearisome, and it's hidden. It's just hard work. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may have come across a man called King David. He was the greatest king of Israel. Uh, He lived about a thousand years before Peter wrote this letter. He was a great king, a great political and military and commercial leader of Israel and established it as its own political state, as I say, about a thousand years before Jesus was born. But he began his life as a shepherd. And repeatedly he talks about all that he learned in terms of being a military leader, all his ability to beat Goliath, this great uh, one-on-one combat that he fought against uh, the great Philistine champion Goliath. All the things he learned, he learned when he was a boy shepherd. He talked about how he learned to kill bears and how he learned to kill lions and all those sorts of things. It's that kind of job. Now throughout the Bible this image of shepherd is used and there are five markers of what a shepherd does, a a literal shepherd with sheep, and how they parallel to the responsibility of an elder in the church. The first is that the shepherd births the lambs. The shepherd's job, the elder's job, is to be able to birth 
the lambs, to bring people into Jesus' kingdom in a healthy, right and established way. Let me give you a brain break for a moment and illustrate uh, this, how brutal hard work this is. When I was a 14, 15, 16-year-old, I, I was planning on becoming a vet. Then I realised you had to go to university for seven years and change my mind. But at that stage, I was planning to become a vet. And I did five days of work experience with Ivingo Beacon's Veterinary Centre. It's still there and still standing. Five tremendous days. One of those nights, it was during the landing season, one of those nights, the vet I was work shadowing said, come and do the night shift with me. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Sounds like hot cocoa and midnight snacks. I can do that. The phone did not stop ringing. This is before mobile phones. And we'd jump into his Land Rover and we'd rattle out to some farm somewhere where some sheep was having a difficult birth and up our sleeves would go and great big rubber gloves would come on. In fact, by about three o'clock in the morning, I was no longer bothering with the gloves. I just knew what to do. And, you know, and, and we did the business and these lambs were born. And then we'd, we'd trundle back and the phone would be flashing with four mobile phones with two more farms saying, we need you out here. Back into the four by four we'd get out into the fields and the sleet's coming down and you're chasing after a sheep that's meant to be giving birth and far too energetic, can't possibly in labour, and you deliver these lambs, you deliver these lambs, you deliver these lambs. 6.30 in the morning we got back, having gone to seven farms, seven farms. I'm 16 years old, absolutely shattered, absolutely knackered. His wife's there, gives us a bacon butty and a cup of tea, and before I've swallowed the last bit of the bacon butty, he's saying, come on Alex, day surgery starts, and the 12-hour shift begins, <laughs> right? Yeah, birthing the lambs. Lambs are not born at nice, convenient times. We've got four children, trust me, I know it. They are not born at nice, convenient times. They're born when they're born, and elders need to be shepherds ready to birth the lambs. It's brutal hard work. <coughs> Secondly, shepherds need to feed the sheep, don't they? They need to feed the sheep. They need to get those lambs grown and healthy and solid and nurtured on God's word and established. Then they need to grow the flock. They need to make the flock bigger, don't they? And more established and welcome more sheep in and, and appoint more deputy shepherds so it's well looked after and it's fed and others can kind of start birthing the sheep. We're right there as a church, aren't we? Growing the flock, finding new leaders, finding new shepherds. Let's love each other. Let's birth more lambs. Let's feed more sheep. Now we hit the last two, which are a bit more controversial. You may not have come across these. They're listed in the Bible in various places. Um, the shepherds... The hard work of shepherding is you've got to rebuke the goats. Rebuke the goats. See, in Peter's day, the sheep and the goats looked very, very similar. They don't anymore, do they? They look very, very different. But sheep and goats in Peter's day look very, very similar. One of the only ways you could tell them apart wasn't actually how they physically looked, but by their behaviour. Goats were wild, scallies. They lived out on the rocks. And no one wanted goats in your flock because their meat tasted pretty rank and unpleasant. Yeah. But only an experienced shepherd could tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. Not by their outward appearance, but actually by their behaviour. And the shepherd's job, literally then, with actual sheep and goats, was to, was to get rid of the goats out so, so the sheep were really sheep. Actually, the spiritual shepherd's job in, under God's grace is goats can be changed into sheep. Yeah. And just to be clear, that doesn't actually happen physically. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking spiritually now. Yeah. I've learned with young children, you've got to be clear when you're giving a metaphor. So this is metaphorical, okay? 
But actually there's a role, there's a role of, of the spiritual shepherd, the, the elder, the leader of the church, it is to look out at people, all who look, all who look the same in essence. And the eldest son, actually, the goats out there, those who, who actually are even conning themselves, they've not actually trusted Jesus. It's all being a Christian means, trusting Jesus. They've not actually done that. They're still kind of feral. They're not really listening to that chief, chief shepherd's voice. And the elders, elders got to have that discerning ability to go, actually, you might not even know it yourself, but you're a goat. That'd be pastorally sensitive of me, wouldn't it? I probably wouldn't use that language. You're a goat. Yeah, I'll come back next week, Alex. But, 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 but you get it. Do you get it? You get it? It's a big responsibility. You pray that Chris does it well. Pray that Lawrence is that discerning. And then the last one here, birth the lambs, feed the sheep, grow the flock, rebuke the goats. The last one is shoot the wolves. Shoot the wolves. This is a huge one, and yet so neglected. I have a great privilege. I have a really great privilege. In the last year or two, I get asked to kind of mentor young, younger ministers. I, part of me kind of thinks, when did I become old? But uh, they asked me to, the, 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 these younger ministers. And more and more and more, I get this sense that theological college is absolutely fantastic. I thank God for theological college. It helped me understand how to birth lambs, and it helped me understand how to grow the flock, and it helped me understand how to feed the sheep. It wasn't great about the goats, and it was awful about the wolves. No one ever told me and taught me and showed me the reality that there are wolves that want to savage Christians, and they often, according to Acts 20, disguise themselves as shepherds. They are wolves in shepherds' clothing, Acts 20, Paul says. And the true shepherd's job isn't just to identify who they are. And it's interesting to me that Peter and Paul, the great New Testament apostles, are unashamed to name people. Repeatedly, they name people. These are wolves. I'm shooting them. That actually the true elder's job, the true true shepherd's job, if he really loves the sheep, is to say, that's a wolf. That is a wolf. It will savage you. And again, we're talking metaphorically, kill it. Metaphorically. Kill it. Yeah? Get it. Get away from my sheep. These are my sheep. And I've been quite struck as I've worked with these younger ministers, some of whom are older than me. It's very weird, but they're newer into ministry. I, I've been very, very, very struck, actually, that some of them, I, all of them have never come across this language in the Bible. You can see it there in Acts 20. But some of them are deeply uncomfortable with the language and actually kind of say, no, 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 no. I'm saying, well, how on earth are you loving the sheep? If you haven't let a wolf come and savage the sheep, where is your love for the sheep? Shoot them, kill them. So the first point of this metaphor here is that it's hard work. It's brutal and hidden and exhausting. It's birthing lambs, it's feeding sheep, growing the flock, rebuking the goats and shooting the wolves. Second of the four, the first one's we'll spend most time on. The second is it's teamwork. It's teamwork. Have a look at your Bibles. Would you just have a look at sentence number one there for me? Chapter five, sentence number one. Look at the plurals. Can you spot them? To the elder? No, elders. He's writing to one church, but there's elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder. Even the great apostle Peter isn't raising himself. He's un- I'm in the team. I'm, I'm one of these elders. And a witness of Christ's sufferings will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be the shepherd? No. Be 
shepherds of the flock. Do you see that there? This is really important. That actually leading a church is always a team enterprise. Now there's two reasons for that. Our good and Jesus' glory. That's important for our good because no one on their own could ever fulfil the job of, of leading a church. It's not possible. My uh, breathy, breathless listing of what criteria right at the beginning, all those kind of things. I chose them all because actually they are all legitimate to have in a minister of a church. Yes, you want a pioneer, entrepreneurial, courageous CEO type person. And yes, you want a tender lover of souls who's kind and compassionate. Yes, you want a creative and, and engaging communicator. But yes, you also want someone who can manage people and do structures well. It, it's, all, it's all legitimate qualification. How on earth will you ever find that in one person? And you wouldn't like them anyway, would they? Because they'd be one of those Mr. Perfects. Uh, they'd probably also cook really well and stuff. So you wouldn't like them. Right? <laughs> so it, it, for our own good, we have to work as a team. It's the lone wolf, isn't it, that dies of starvation in a Canadian winter. It's the isolated soldier who is shot by the sniper and dies. Um, it, it's the separated antelope that's taken out by, uh, by the pack of lions. We try and go alone as elders. We're in serious, serious trouble. But it's not just a team effort for our own good, also for Jesus' glory. Do you see there in sentence four, he is the chief shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one ultimately in control. He's the one ultimately birthing the sheep and feeding them and growing the flock and shooting the wolves. He and he alone is to get the glory. Change the analogy away from agriculture. He is the CEO or chairman of the company. He's the general of the army, the captain of the team. He's the architect of the building. He's the father of the family. He alone gets the glory. He alone. And if anyone else tries to say, I, I can do this church, just me individually, you're trying to usurp Jesus. Not only are you doing something you can never actually do, you're trying to usurp Jesus. If you are familiar with the story of King David, not all of us will know our Bibles yet that well. You've got that adventure in front of you. But if you do know the story of King David, you probably know before him was a man called King Saul. King Saul, the first king of Israel. They, they say physically he was head and shoulders above everyone else. I have to stand on this little platform so you can all see me. Not Saul, he was a big guy. And his name, Saul, literally means the answer to your prayers. That's what the name Saul means. I love it. I, for some reason, I said this before about him, I always think of him at the nightclub and he's busting out his moves, you know, the Israeli nightclub, you know, YMCA, there he is, and he spots a nice girl across the way and he walks over to the nice girl and the nice girl goes, oh, hi, what's your name? And he says, I'm the answer to your prayers. <laughs> like, I just think that's awesome, awesome. But King Saul was given this massive responsibility to be the king of Israel, one of a trio of leaders. Israel had a king, a priest, and a prophet. And together, they led Israel. Three individuals, three positions. Because only God was the true king. Only God was the true priest. Only God was the true prophet. So you couldn't have it all in one man. And King Saul, the great error, why God picked him up and crushed him and threw him off his throne, was King Saul orchestrated thing that he would also be the priest. And that he would also be the prophet. Because King Saul wanted it all. He wanted to be the number one. Does that make sense? And God said, no chance. I am the chief shepherd. So team leadership, team eldership is important for our own good. Otherwise we'll just go bang. 
but it's massively important for Jesus' glory. Does that make sense? And so reflected in a team eldership, you should see prophet, priest, and king within that team. The prophet is concerned with God's word. The priest is concerned with God's people. The king is concerned with God's mission. Do you see that? And in Jesus, the name Christ literally means all of those things woven together. Jesus, the unique one who fulfills all of those roles perfectly in one person. Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest and king. We have to be a team to get anywhere near close to that. Does that make sense? Now, just to be clear, it is sheer chance that we have three elders at the moment and there's prophet, priest and king. So those of you who are going, hmm, is Lawrence the priest or is Lawrence the king? Or, I don't I, I know, I think, I think Chris is more prophety. Prophet Chris? King Alex, king's got a ring to it. Those of you who are, right? That, that's not how we've structured it. That's not, it, 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 in, in a few years time we might have five elders or 15 elders. I don't know. The, the point is within a plural body, you will see prophet, priest and king reflected. So hopefully as you look at your elders, you get a picture of Jesus. Did you know that? That's what all relationships are for. Parenting exists in God's economy. So when children look at their parents, they get to taste and see what God the Father is like. Husbands exist in God's providence. So wives get to look at their husband and taste and see what Jesus, the perfect husband, is like. Wives exist in God's economy. So husbands get to look at their wives and taste and see what the Isaiah image of God as mother looks like and wife actually looks like. Bosses exist with employees. So employees get to look at bosses and taste and see what God, the great king and boss of the world, is actually like. Did you know that? Did you know that? That's why these relationships exist. That's if you're put in a position of responsibility. Your job is to show what God is like through that position. Is your parenting like God the Father? Is your bossing, is your boss, bossing, what, uh, you know, whatever it is, being a boss, is it like what God is to, to us as great king? Is your wifing or your husbanding? I'm butchering the English language here, aren't I? Is your, I sound like Donald Trump. Is your, is your wifing or your husbanding is it reflecting what God is like in those kind of roles? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Do you see that? And therefore, therefore, you look at your team of elders. Some of us aren't from this church. You're now thinking of your church, wherever it is. That's great. You look at your team of elders and you say, are they showing me what God is like? Jesus, the perfect priest, prophet and king. Do I get to see what he is like through them? It's team. It is so important. So important. If you ever, ever ever, ever get a whiff that Alex Harris is beginning to suggest that somehow he is elevated out or above of the eldership we have as a team, then you come and you verbally, and if necessary, you physically, but make sure you're bigger than me because I'll hit back, you physically, you physically put me back in my place because Jesus must be glorified. Jesus must be the chief shepherd and that must be functionally, functionally seen and not just in words. You've got to see it in our structures. Do you see that? Bravo! Amen. Even in Italy that's true. Okay? Really important. I said we'd be quicker. I think I've slowed down. Number one, it's hard work. Number two, it's teamwork. Number three, it's delegated work. Now, this should be pretty obvious by now. If Jesus is the chief shepherd, then he has only delegated the responsibility to the shepherds to look after his flock. Let's see it in the text. Have a look at sentence two, if you would, please. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Whose flock is it? God's flock. Or look at sentence number three. Not lording it over those entrusted. 
to you. Do you see that? So it's delegated work. So let's just think just let's just take one example of what that means, just briefly. Let's just think about preaching. Preaching. Let me borrow the language of someone called W.A. Creswell, who for 40 years was the pastor, one of the elders of First Baptist Church in Dallas. He died in early 2000s. What does it mean that it's delegated, that you're God's flock, and it's delegated responsibility to Lawrence and myself and Chris to care for you when it comes to preaching as one case study? When a man goes to church, a man or a woman, it's dated language, he wrote it in about the 40s. When a a person goes to church, he often hears a preacher in the pulpit rehash everything he's read in the editorials, the newspapers and the magazines. On the TV commentaries, he hears the same stuff over again. He yawns and he goes out and plays golf on a Sunday. When someone comes to church, actually what he is saying to you is this. Preacher. I know what the TV commentators have to say. I hear them every day. I know what the editorial writers have to say. I read them every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I receive them every week. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? And if God does have something to say, say it! Do you see that? Do you see that? So it's really important that we understand that Chris and myself and Lawrence understand this is delegated work. So if you ever see us standing up the front here and you leave and there's a consistent sense, we get it wrong sometimes, but there's a consistent sense that we're not even attempting to teach the Bible. We're just pontificating or or giving out our own opinions and hooking them onto a Bible text. Again, there's your permission. If you're bigger than me, it's a physical slap. I'm joking. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And of course, if you get this delegated idea... It keeps us healthy. So how is this informing your prayers for us, by the way? That it's hard work, like a shepherd. That it's teamwork. Do you pray for the team dynamic between Chris Lawrence and I? Chris and Lawrence predated me as elders here four and a half years ago. Did you pray for that team dynamic as I stepped in? I don't know, I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Really important. Your prayers worked. Really worked. Like, really worked. But it's team. What about delegated? Crumbs, friends, we're in a growing church. My picture appeared in a national magazine two weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Is there a risk? Are you praying? Keep him humble. Keep him humble. Keep him humble. I really hope you are. I really hope you are. Outgrown that. <laughs> but this understanding of delegated work, you see, it keeps us healthy. Because if actually we start to think it's our work, any of us now actually is part of this church, any of us, then while things are going good, we're, we're going to get really swollen heads, aren't we? And then if things start to go bad, we get really shrunken hearts. And swollen heads, I mean, if you walk down Stafford High Street and there's someone with a, with a head the size of a beach ball, you're going to say something's wrong there, aren't they? <coughs> They're not healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Equally, if, if you feel your heart palpitating and it's shrunk and they do an echogram and they say, oh, it's, it's a third too small, one of the chambers doesn't work and your heart's shrunk, you know you're not healthy. 
Well, spiritually, if we lose the idea that this is delegated work, there is a chief shepherd, a father of the family, a CEO of the company, a general of the army above us. We start to think it's our work. We're either going to get very unhealthy swollen heads or very unhealthy shrunken hearts, depending if the church is growing or church is shrinking. Actually, it's Jesus' work. He has made no promise of what our future is. We just have great momentum and an exciting suspicion that God has only just started. And a heartfelt prayer in my heart that I do not want to die wondering what God might have done at this moment if only I had trusted him more and tried harder. But he has made no promise. He could stop it tomorrow. Next Sunday I could stand up and three of us could be in this room. It is God's work. God's work. Lastly, it's rewarded work. We do need to start circling to land, don't we? Lastly, it's, it's rewarded work. Hard team, delegated, but rewarded. Look at verse 1 again, if you don't mind, please. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Do you see that? Share in the glory to be revealed. We're saved by grace, God's unmerited favour. He beckons everyone home, whoever you are. But then, like Shaz was saying earlier, he dishes out gifts, he dishes out gifts. And then when we walk into heaven, he says, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my child. That's his first response. You're my child by grace. You're adopted. You're my child by grace. His second question is, now, what did you do, servant? Do you see that? You're a child. You're welcome into my house. What did you do as a servant? Because I gave you so much. I gave you so much. The capacities and capabilities to be an elder of the church are pretty significant. Chris and Lawrence have enormous gifts. I'm the black sheep of that flock, but they have enormous gifts. God has given them so much. He's going to say, come home, my child. Alex, come home, my child. Adopted by grace, you're in my house. doesn't matter what you've done. You're by grace, you're in. Come home, my child. Servant, what did you do? That's the glory that's being talked about here. Or look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. What do you do with the gifts I gave you? Here's your crown. Thimble. 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 Massive. Thimble. Massive. Which is it going to be? It's rewarded work. To land, let me give you the three great threats. Let me sketch them in for your prayers. The three great threats that you need to be praying and helping and supporting Chris Lawrence and I, Kevin and Matt to some extent, our deacons, our children's church leaders, small group leaders, and on and on it goes. The three great threats to leaders not receiving this crown. Number one, arrogance, especially when you're younger. Look at verse five. In the same way, you who are younger elders, Submit yourselves to your older elders. Do you see that? That's what's going on there. All of you, all the elders, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand and may lift you up in due time. Do you see there's this great threat of arrogance? I'm the leader. Yeah? Arrogant, especially when you're younger. Now, younger in the Bible is 40. You come of age at 40. I'm going to become a man in about nine months' time. I can't wait. I'm a young man, nine months' time. I'm a man. I might grow a beard. So, but particularly when you're younger, 
I would, except it grows grey and it's terrible. Um, uh, not that that's a problem with grey beer. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me and you. Johnny's got both. He's got more here and less there. You've got both going, haven't you, Johnny? It's kind of cool. But arrogance, especially when you're younger, do you see that? Um, verse 6, in the same way, you who are younger elders, so you're under 40, make sure you do submit yourself to your older elders um, who've got a little bit more life around them. And then you see how often that word humble, you know, submit, verse 5, humility, verse 5, humble, verse 5, humble, verse 6. You know, that arrogance, arrogance, arrogance destroys leadership, destroys leadership. Pray we're humble, not arrogant. Uh, secondly, anxiety, especially when you feel neglected as a leader. Look, look at sentence seven. Elder, cast all your anxiety on him because he does care for you. Any leadership, some of you have very significant leadership in your life, any leadership, it can be a very lonely situation to be in. And the leader can start to go like some teenager, Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. I've got a dog, so there's always someone who loves me. It's okay. You know, that was my... No. But nobody loves me. And when leaders start to feel like they're, they're, they're neglected, that they're not cared for, that there's, there's too much in the church, you know, too many people just... <clears throat> not enough encouragement. Too many people saying, well, his wife will encourage him. I don't need to. You know, too many people say, well, Chris knows how good he is. He doesn't need me to tell him. But he does. He does. Too many of you telling me how wonderful Lawrence's praying is for you. Tell him. Tell him. Because actually when we feel neglected, anxiety comes in. Am I doing this right? Have I heard God properly? So anxiety kills leadership. And then lastly, the devil's attacks, especially when leaders are isolated. Look at sentences eight and nine. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, just as lions did around the sheep. And lions learned in Peter's day, packs of lions learned to take out the shepherd first, and then the sheep were easy prey. Your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for an elder to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The devil attacks, particularly when leaders feel isolated, when leaders say, it's just me, no one else has this problem, do they? It's only my church that's like this, no one else says, no, 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 no. Actually, uh, this suffering is of all believers around the world. It's common to every church. You see, he says that. Well, your experience as an elder, just talk to the, the church down the road, have a chat with the minister there, and you'll both go, oh, thank goodness it's not just me. Yeah? But when you're not doing that, that prowling line comes in, and with the shepherd gone, the sheep scatter. Shall I pray?